Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to season seven of Talking with Traders. We're now into the fourth year of this podcast since it started in early 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as our sponsor for this season. We are truly privileged and grateful to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some will be follow-ups with past guests and some will be new guests. The idea behind this podcast is that you get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of what you hear in these episodes is intended to be financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here into your own trading and investing. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG for funding and sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please enjoy season seven of Talking With Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking With Traders. And this week, it gives me really, really great pleasure to interview somebody from the USA, somebody who I have seen on TV many, many times in the past, and no doubt listeners will have as well. His name is Adam Johnson. If you are watching this via the YouTube video, you can see him there. He's got a familiar face. You would have seen him on Bloomberg many times. But Adam, uh, you've got a far more interesting career besides the time that you did at Bloomberg, which you can tell us about. But welcome to Talking With Traders, and thank you so much for joining me today. It's really a privilege to speak to you. Oh, thanks for having me, Garth. It's, uh, it's a privilege uh, from my point of view, and uh, I really enjoy the opportunity to have a long-form conversation. So let Excellent. her rip. Cool. Well, we've got long form as in about 45 minutes, so let's let's do it. Um I have given a tiny bit of the background into you, obviously, as a, as a Bloomberg anchor, where you got to interview very senior, very, you know, proper, proper people, CEOs, leaders in various different fields, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you now run your own show, uh, Bullseye Brief, the newsletter, but that's not all you do. There are other things as well, which we'll talk about. But I think just can you give us a little bit of a background into your career, um, including the, the Bloomberg stint? But you know, there's so many other things that you had done, have done when I looked up your bio, more than just being an anchor at Bloomberg. You've got a lot of experience in the markets. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been a journey as as most people's lives, um, you know, sort of end up being. And um, I went to Princeton as a pre-med, had a wonderful economics teacher who convinced me uh, or helped me see the fact that uh, I absolutely loved economics. So majored in economics and went right to Wall Street. And spent, um, call it 20 years, um, trading stocks, options, and commodities, really oil in particular. And um, in the middle of financial crisis, I was going on Fox and Bloomberg a fair amount, CNBC to a certain extent. And um, the people at Bloomberg said, would you ever make TV a full-time thing? And I said, what, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, we, we've just hired journalists. We've never actually hired someone from the street. Uh, you've been managing money for 20 years. Again, this is 2008, 2009. They said the world is imploding and we need someone who can speak from uh, experience and expertise. Would you join us? I went to my boss. He said, you got to do that. No one gets a look like that. So yes, I spent five years at Bloomberg hosting a couple of different shows, including the morning show, which meant that um, I had no life. 
because I had to get up at 3 a.m. every day you know, to do the show six to nine. Um, but um, after doing that for several years, I missed being in the game um, and I wanted to have my own business. So I launched Bullseye Brief, uh, a newsletter, which uh, puts out a, a new stock idea every week, manages a portfolio um, that has grown into the American Ingenuity portfolio because I'm a growth focused investor and American Ingenuity, the people, companies and technologies driving our world forward. Uh, that's my focus. Um, the newsletter then, because people started um, uh, reading me every week uh, and, and getting comfortable with my process and my stock picks, uh, that birthed a money management business. So um, so that is now the next component of what I'm doing. So uh, yeah, you're, you're right when you say it's been an evolution. Um, when I look back, it all makes perfect sense. But, uh, you know, there were certainly times along the way where um, it didn't. And uh, so that's the benefit of hindsight. But I do absolutely love what I do. I'm an optimist. I'm a risk taker. And um, that's my story. Yeah. Uh, well, when you say you love what you do, I know, because the way you sign off your weekly email most weeks is, I love this business at the end. Yeah, uh, right. and, and and it's true. The passion is there. It shines through in the work that you do. Oh, thank you. The, the main reason I wanted to interview you today was to talk about that American ingenuity portfolio and to talk about Bullseye Brief, because that's kind of what... Uh, where I follow you uh, currently. And I love the idea behind the American Ingenuity Portfolio because I guess it's the, the name is, you know, does what it says on the tin, American Ingenuity. Um, it's growth, as you said, and it's the, the themes that are at the forefront of tomorrow and in the next decade, in the next two decades, et cetera. Uh, I, I like that. I think, you know, if you're an investor wanting to try and capture, you know, the, let's just say you'd be an early investor in Google or an early investor in Amazon or Microsoft or Tesla, I mean, you've done phenomenally well. And that's the that's the holy grail, I guess. We, as investors, we would love to get in on the ground floor on some of those types of businesses. And I guess that's what you're doing with the, the kind of research that you're doing publishing it in a newsletter, putting it into a portfolio and and some of those stocks that you are invested in, I guess, could become the next Tesla, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, et cetera. In your video bio on your website, I really something resonated with me with what you said there is that a mentor of yours on Wall Street said to you once, if you really want to make it in this business, find a theme and leverage it. Yeah, and yeah. and I think well that's exactly what you're doing here. So with that in mind, you know, what are the themes that you are picking up on for let's say the next 5, 10, 20 years that we should be considering for our investment portfolios if we want to capture that next big leg of growth. You know, it almost sounds um cliché at this point to describe artificial intelligence as a theme. It's just so self-evident. Yeah. Uh and yet that's um that's an obvious theme and one we can all understand. In fact, it's funny. Um for my bullseyebrief.com subscribers, I wrote up Nvidia uh less than a year ago, believe it or not, oh. Earth, um, oh. at 175. Sure. And my my initial target was 475. And I said, there's actually a bull case, I think, that probably gets us towards 700. So yeah. it went to uh, the stock, you know, it went to 475 uh, a lot sooner than I expected. I sold half the position okay. because, you know, that's risk management, right? As, yeah. as one of my mentors said, um, uh, always pick a, a target price before you buy the stock because you're only rational once. And it's before you buy the stock. Right. right? Yeah, um, yeah. 
So, uh, you know, if it gets there, sell half. Um, okay. I did sell half the NVIDIA position. Um, the reason NVIDIA has become such a, um, a proxy for artificial intelligence is because their chips uh, enable artificial intelligence to happen. Their chips are 10 times faster than any other chips in the world. 30 trillion calculations per second. Wow. They've got they've got an, a, a next generation that's um, going to be five, six times faster than that. That's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. So, uh, you know, in the same way that back in 2000, every company became a dot com company. And then um, somewhere around 2010, every company became a an e-commerce, uh, you know, company or direct to consumer. And then somewhere around 2015, every company became a cloud based company. Right. Well, artificial intelligence. Well, and then data analytics was somewhere in 2018. Um, and now that next evolution is artificial intelligence. I think every company is trying to become an artificial intelligence company or at least employ artificial intelligence yeah. in some capacity. I mean, one of the news items from this week is that Amazon uh, is um, buying a um, an AI company that's going to help them create chat box that will talk to you and, quote, personalize the shopping experience. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've only just scratched the surface on all this stuff. Yeah. So artificial intelligence, an incredibly powerful theme. And okay. yes, how do you make the most amount of money on Wall Street? Uh, as my boss would say, um, uh, find a theme and leverage it. Artificial yeah. intelligence is a massive theme. Um, there are other themes out there, digitization, robotics, automation, et cetera, but certainly artificial intelligence is one of the biggies. Right. Okay. All right. Um, and the, the next question then is, once you've identified the theme from a top-down perspective, uh, what it, you've then obviously got to go in and start doing your stock selection. So we, we assume artificial intelligence is the theme or digitization is the theme or robotics is the theme. But now you've got a, you know, an array of different companies that you can look at. What are some of the criteria that you then want to see at an individual stock level that would make you want to put it into your portfolio? Because when I mean, your portfolio is, is, it says it's 35 to 50 stocks. So it's fairly diversified, right? Yeah, but there's a lot of stocks out there to pick from. So to try and find the best 35 or the best 40 stocks, it's still quite a task. So you've got to really sift through the the data quite carefully, I guess. And to that extent, then what are the criteria that you're wanting to see in a stock for it to actually make it into your portfolio? Yeah, three things. Every bullseye pick um, shares three attributes. Number one, a great story. Number two data that supports the thesis. And number three, some sort of identifiable, almost newsy catalyst uh, where we can say, ah, yes, that's uh, that's that's where we're going, okay. uh, right? And, um, and that third one, I wouldn't have appreciated had I not worked at Bloomberg in the news business. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for five years. So uh, all, all the experience of the past, uh, you know, 25, 30 years, you know, kind of adds up. So great story, compelling data, newsy catalyst. Those okay. are the three things that I look for in every pick. Okay. All right. Something that's just sprung to mind regarding this is yeah, in, in most growth sectors, growth stocks, there seems to be like a, I think they call it a sig sigmoid curve or something like that. It's like a, like an S, right? Sure. You get that initial growth that's the hype. That's the excitement. The stocks become overvalued at that point in time. The, the theme is still valid, but there's there's a time when it's just the prices are ridiculous. That's like the dot-com bubble in, in 99, sure. 2000. Then you get the sort of the, the return to reality 
which is often quite aggressive on the downside. And then you get the bottom flattening out of that curve where the, you know, the the the, the men are separated from the boys, I guess. And then you get the, the proper uplift, which is where you, you, you get the true winners, the true leaders of the theme will actually then rise out of yeah. that. Um, I mean, in some respects, some of the stuff, I get the feeling we've actually been through the first part of that S and we kind of come down with the market correction last year in 2022. Tech was was largely out of favor, not all. I mean, obviously it's something like NVIDIA still did really well. That was an outlier. But a lot of, a lot of those stocks which had boomed massively in, in in the lead up to the end of 2021 saw big declines in their share prices 2022 have flattened out quite a bit now over the last say nine months or so and i see a number of them starting to almost lift off again let's hope so yeah i mean that that uh, i guess selfishly and and not only selfishly for listeners to this podcast i mean to me, that would now seem like a really good time to be fishing for the top companies for the best ideas because you've actually been through that initial bubble. You've 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 seen the burst, um, and now the the stocks that start to lead out of this basing formation that we're seeing now should theoretically be the leaders that ultimately make it in the long run, right? Oh, absolutely. And um, the reason, by the way, that stocks are down is because interest rates are up. Yeah. I know that sounds simplistic, but that's the truth. And 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 there are a couple of reasons uh, for that relationship. Um, number one, companies' borrowing costs go up. So if you're a young, growthy company and you've got to borrow money to, you know, because maybe you still don't have earnings yet, uh, that's more expensive, creates headwinds, reduces profitability. Fine, we can all understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something more subtle that um, uh, more sophisticated investors uh, have to wrestle with, and that's called a um, a discount rate. Um, and so, uh, just as when interest rates go up, you can't afford as big a house, um, when interest rates, um, go up, uh, the future earnings are worth less because you have to discount them back to the present at a higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why multiples tend to compress. Uh, so if you were willing to pay, let's say 10 or 11 times, um, cash flow, uh, two or three years ago when interest rates were practically zero. Now for that same company, you might only be willing to pay five or six times, yeah. uh, right? That's called multiple compression and it's a function of higher rates or specifically a higher discount rate. Again, you're discounting future earnings back to the present, adding all those up and then saying, here's what I think it's worth. Yeah, That's the yeah. math behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, there's a big leverage component in that. And that's why we've seen yes. some of these companies falling in price by 60, 70, 80% in some cases. That's uh, right. Because that margin compression, when you expand that out to a valuation that was ridiculous in the first place, it needs to correct a long way. Correct. Um, the other thing that's important, I think, for all of our listeners to understand is something that you touched on. Um, and And I'm going to rephrase it as it's always darkest before the dawn. And by that, I mean, the Fed is effectively done. They have sidelined themselves. They didn't raise rates, um, you know, at the meeting in September. And stay tuned. We'll see what they do later in the year. But they've kind of said that they might be done. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet, you know, interest rates have continued to push and push and push. And there's some sort of turn that's, um, I think, starting to take shape. You can only force rates higher in the markets so far 
if the Fed itself isn't raising rates, right? Mm, yes. Um, that's that's. I think that's very important to understand. Um, darkest before the dawn. Mm. Um, if you look at what has happened um, in stocks from uh, call it the the highs of July into August, where things turned, and then September started to get uglier. Uh, what you've seen is um, a massive number of stocks get uh, deeply oversold. And again, when you take um, by some measures, 80, 85% of the stocks uh, to points where they are now trading below what traders would call the 50-day moving average, that's a washout. And that is actually what happened at the end of September. And so again, darkest before the dawn. We've only seen uh, six times in five years where stocks have gotten that oversold. And in each case, uh, they bounced. So, you know, you start adding up all these data points, uh, the Fed out of uh, the market, um, interest rates uh, probing almost 20 year highs, uh, stocks getting deeply oversold. You start to uh, make a case for some sort of turn. What I've learned in my career is that um, when I'm uncomfortable, um, as I have been, because all these things are, are, are weighing on stocks and so many of my stocks have, have gone down um, you know, since the July highs. Yeah, when I'm uncomfortable, that's when I do my best buying because yeah. you know, we're not trying to make money for the next week, the next month, even the next quarter. We're trying to make money for the next uh, two, three, four years. We wow. want to pick um, stocks that have a long runway for growth. We know we're trying to make triples and quadruples and quintuples of our money, right? We're not yes. just, you know, we're not buying Bank America at, at, at book value in hopes that it goes to 1.3 times book value yeah. you know, from 28 to 35. Sure, yeah. that's a fine trade for some people, but that's not what we're trying to do in the Bullseye American Ingenuity Fund. We want to find the growth companies that are leading the world forward. Okay, brilliant. Now, I know we've talked about stock specifics and uh, and the themes and what have you, but there are a lot of uh, thematic ETFs available now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you want to want an AI themed ETF. There's a, a number of those available. You want an energy themed ETF. You know, there's plenty. You want a fintech ETF. You want a robotics ETF. You want a semiconductors ETF. You know, there are there are m- many of these available to play a theme. Is this something you would ever do, or is is that is, is that sort of the lazy man's way of going about uh, playing a theme? B- because, I mean, what you're doing, I guess, is no doubt you own some of the stocks that are in those ETFs, but you're looking for the best ones rather than right. just own the ETF. You actually want to pick out the best stocks in the sector and own those, right? Yeah, um, I'm a stock picker. And um, so my job as a research analyst and as a portfolio manager is to um, first identify the themes that I think have the longest runway. Again, artificial intelligence, robotics, automation, digitization, et cetera, and then figure out which companies um, express those themes or leverage those themes to the greatest extent. And then I also have to figure out um, of those companies that could potentially leverage the themes, which are the strongest ones. Um, And by strength, um, that might mean that have the best products, that might have the uh, best management teams, uh, the least amount of leverage, um, the most um, uh, patent protected technology, right? I mean, there are a lot Mm. of things into trying to, to, to find the right name. And then again, as a portfolio manager, actually managing that 
basket of names uh, in the context of a portfolio. So yes, I could go out and I could buy um, a clean energy ETF and say, great, there's my clean energy exposure. Uh, and yeah, I'll go out and buy the robotics ETF. But the problem is these ETFs, a lot of them have 70, 80 different stocks in them. And they're not all pure plays. Yeah. You know, um, uh, in fact, it's very hard. Just we've been talking about artificial intelligence. It's very hard to find artificial intelligence pure plays. I've mentioned NVIDIA, but the fact is NVIDIA makes semiconductors. I mean, mm. they don't even do artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the you know, the picks and shovels um, uh, aspect uh, as opposed to the software, right? You know, picks yeah. and shovels, right? You can you can uh, be a gold miner or you can sell gold miners picks and shovels. Well, yeah. NVIDIA makes the chips that, you know, enable artificial intelligence. So it's, it's kind of a backdoor approach, but I think it's a good approach in this particular case. And uh, yeah, I enjoy the treasure hunt aspect of trying to find these names that um, that leverage these okay. various. All right, cool. Well, I mean, now's the time I'm going to press you. We've talked about the themes. We've talked about AI, digitization, automation, robotics, etc. Let's try and I'm going to try and pull a couple of stock names out from yeah. out of you. I mean, I don't want I don't expect you to give too much away because obviously your work is is proprietary and it's you know you you sell it for 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 a fee um and also you of course want investors to invest in your portfolio which we'll talk about but let's use this as an opportunity to kind of whet their appetite this is sure. uh, intended to to entice some listeners to subscribe to your newsletter to potentially wow. consider investing in your portfolio but let's have a look at, at at a couple of stock specifics that would make it into each of those themes that you've talked about now some of your favorite stocks Sure, I'll give you uh, an example. Since we started with artificial intelligence, let's just kind of stay with that. And this actually uh, um, ties together a couple of themes, robotics, automation. A company called Symbotic, uh, S-Y-M is the ticker. Um, Symbotic is doing some amazing things. I mean, if you could just see what their um, what their um, automated warehouses look like. I mean, it's like robot ballet. It's incredible. A uh, truck pulls up to the um, uh, loading dock. Uh, robots go in, pull out the pallets, take the pallets apart, um, and then um, scan all the uh, QR codes on the uh, boxes, go stash them away on a shelf. And then when an order comes in, um, uh, let's say it's a distribution facility that then supports other stores. And so the store says, well, we need uh, 15 TVs. We need um, uh, 32 pairs of shoes, et cetera. Uh, robots go out, retrieve all these different things, figure out how to pack the pallets in a balanced way. And then it, it actually repalletizes all the stuff. And then other robots load it onto another truck. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. It's, uh, no. it's incredible. I mean, so you've got uh, artificial intelligence, you've got robotics, and you've got automation all in one stock. Um, yeah. Very exciting. They'll do about a billion in sales this year. And yet the backlog is 11 billion. And you say, wow. wait a minute, that's 11 years worth of sales? Well, it sounds like they better get bigger. And yes, that's exactly the point. That's incredible. Um, so uh, it's an asset light operation. They don't build the robots. They don't even build the warehouses. They design the robots. They design the warehouses and they design the software. And then they actually manage them. So they hire other companies to go out and actually create all the stuff. And they had just effectively one uh, production line. Well, now they've got three. So they're uh, effectively going to be able to triple their output, which means they'll they'll work through that $11 billion backlog. 
they are currently converting every single one of the distribution warehouses, uh, all 47 of them that Walmart relies on around the country. Um, they're converting them to entirely automated distribution facilities. Um, again, no, that's Walmart. And, uh, and, and Walmart's the first one to do it. You're going to start seeing other, um, other big companies do the same. And it's very exciting. So Symbotic ticker SYM is another uh, bullseye pick and one of my one of my favorites. I, I recommended it initially at like eight bucks. That was less than a year ago. It yeah. went as high as 62 wow. uh, and um, has pulled back into the 30s. I had sold some uh, up at 60 and um, went back down into the 30s um, and uh, and bought, bought shares back. So okay. I'm very excited about Symbotic. That's a, that sounds an amazing business. Okay. Part of what you said there is leads me into the next question, and it's about risk management. Because you've yeah. mentioned that you do you have taken profits on some of these stocks once they've you know delivered a, an exceptional performance, which is yeah. great. Um, but now you know you've you've got between 35 and 50 stocks in your American ingenuity portfolio. So it naturally, but by, by virtue of that, I guess each of the positions is quite small anyway on a, on a total basis. I mean, I guess I'm going to presume they're not all equal in size, but I'm sure they're, you know, of a relatively similar smallish size so that the portfolio is quite diversified. Um, but the question is, do you know, do you, assuming one of your picks doesn't work out and doesn't do the $8 to $60 thing yeah. and maybe, you know, goes eight and seven, six, five, you know, we don't get none of us get everything right. We're all human. We all are, 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 you know, we all potentially make mistakes in our judgment. If that happens in one of your stocks, do you have some sort of a cutoff point or some sort of a stop loss at yeah. which point you just say, well, clearly this isn't working. Let's just get out and move on and find something else to occupy that spot in the portfolio? Yes. Uh, I call it an alert. And yeah. in, in my mind, an alert is different from a stop. If it's a stop, that means. You stop it out, you sell it, you're gone, end of story. It's unemotional. Um, an alert to me is, is more of an opportunity to just say, hmm, this isn't working. What's going on here? Am I missing something or is this a function of the market? Um, um, an alert is, is an opportunity, therefore, to reflect and maybe to sell uh, or maybe in some cases to add maybe a little. You, know, you, yeah. you, you never double down. That's, sure. you know. Yeah. But you, you might add a little, say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to add a little bit. I'm going to add a little bit. Um, um, and what I have found is that if I set alerts um, sort of down 30 to 35%, that's usually a good spot to sort of stop, look, listen, think, and either take action or not. Okay. Uh, if something goes down 50, gets cut in half, at that point, a lot of times I'll just say, boy, this is this is just not working. I mean, you know, you can I'm sure there's some listeners who are saying, oh, my gosh, you're willing to lose 50, 5 get cut in half, 50 percent off stock. That's crazy. I don't want that kind of volatility. Yeah, well, <laughs> welcome to uh, 2023, where um, a lot of stocks. I mean, think about it. The Nasdaq uh, last year was down, what, 30, no, 30 odd, 39 yeah. percent. And, and so, you know, are you going to sell everything? No, you know, of course not, because then you're in cash. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, you have to, to, to ride things out. But uh, yes, I have sold some stocks down uh, big time double digits 
it's been painful. Um, but, um, you know, once, once you get those things out of there, you do free up capital. Uh, you have to get over it, uh, not berate yourself for being wrong, um, and then redeploy the capital. In fact, one of the things I had to do last year was stop myself out on some wonderful little growth companies that uh, nobody cared about. Um, and we're getting crushed by rising rates. Again, what we were talking about, you know, where you have to um, discount future earnings at a greater rate. And that's why these stocks just kept going down and down and down and people were selling. Um, and I had to move up higher on the quality curve. So, um, you know, people talk about the fangs, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, Microsoft, et cetera. Um, so, uh, and I think those are all core ingenuity names and you need to own them. Uh, but what I did was I... I I sold some of these great little growth companies and I went higher up on the quality curve to, well, what I would call the next generation of fangs, you know, the Palo Alto softwares, the, uh, uh, the salesforce.coms, you know, they're, they're not as big as the big guys, but they're pretty darn big and they're high quality companies with, with consistent earnings, um, great products, um, um, some, some stability and protection around their, um, uh, products uh and an ability to raise prices you know stuff like that that you, that, yeah. that you look for but i had to make that move higher on the quality curve and sell out some of the losers it was painful but um it you know it certainly worked out it was the right decision i'm glad i did it right okay all right interesting now on the opposite end of that question is uh is the good news side of it i guess is that sometimes you're going to have stocks that perform phenomenally well, like you just said, with Symbotic, which went from $8 to 60 And then you took some off the table and it came back and that sounded like it worked out very well. But I've also seen in the past where trimming back positions can be detrimental to your growth growth health. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, you know, if you had have sold out Amazon too early or sold out Tesla too early or, so, you know, Microsoft, any of these that have that have done thousands and thousands of percent growth throughout the, the decades, two decades. Um, you know, selling too soon is is also a problem. So, but what, what I want to ask you is, in terms of your risk management rules, you know, you, you mentioned that you've always got a, a a target price in mind where you'll at least sell some. Yeah, but. I mean, if if a position becomes, you know, maybe starts as two a two percent or a three percent weighting in your portfolio, but if it's shot the lights out and that is suddenly, you know, it's been a a, a ten bagger, that stock is now possibly twenty or thirty percent of the portfolio. Um, it's a disproportionately large part of the portfolio. Sure. Okay. Do you have some sort of a process where you would trim that back to try and kind of keep the weightings more aligned? Or do you say, no, this is the one we don't sell a winner. We let it run uh, and 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 capture the maximum amount of growth out of that stock. Because I mean, as an investor and as a trader, I, I, I find this, and I'm sure you do too, is that knowing when to sell is the hardest part of trading or investing. Oh, yeah. Well, JP Morgan was famously asked, um, how, sir, did you become so wealthy? Because I sold too soon. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's hard to know when to sell. It really is. But, um, you know, I think this this approach of mine um, works very well. It works for me to um, identify a target. And if the stock gets to that target, to sell half. Yeah. And, you know, so if, if, if the position was 2% initially and the target... Um, you know, calls for the thing to potentially go up um, 
threefold. A two position, a two percent position, then becomes a six percent position. Fine. Mm, yeah. So you still have, you still have a three percent position. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So you still have skin in the game. Actually, you know, that's that's a reasonable position. Three percent. Yeah. Um, it's more than you had initially, and set another target. And and if you think it doubles, then that three becomes six. Sell half again. You still yeah. have a three percent, right? Yeah. So um, you know that works for me. Um, um, it's very tempting to to just let a winner ride and ride and ride. But as you point out, you don't want to see something become um, you know twenty percent of 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 your portfolio. That's just too much. Yeah, yeah. I guess Warren Buffett might disagree. I mean, if he he's look at the way he's done things, he just rides it. Okay, he does sell sometimes, but he uh, he's ridden some of those winners for decades, and it's done phenomenally oh, yeah. well. But it's his way, yeah. I guess, of doing things. It's yeah, all very right. interesting. There's, I mean, there's never one only way to to skin a cat, and there's not only one way to invest. I guess it's it's interesting to have the discussions, nonetheless. It in in uh, what you're doing, and do you employ any technical analysis at all, looking at charts, uh, to you know, to determine your targets or to determine a perhaps a trailing stop loss or anything like that, or are you all a fundamentals only guy? Well, I would say I'm 95 percent fundamentals and maybe five percent technicals. I think yeah. any reasonable, uh, balanced, thoughtful investor should look at the charts because they tell a story. Um, I would never uh, uh, buy or sell a stock purely because of a chart. Yeah. Uh, because remember, a chart is backward looking. It's telling you what already happened. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't tell you what you think is going to happen. That's where analysis uh, comes in. Here's what I think is going to happen. Here's mm -hmm. what I think could happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you have to look at the chart. That's that's just, you know, that's that's, uh, you know, like like uh, looking at the earnings history. What did they make uh, last year, the year before, the year before? Is there a, a, a consistent growth rate? Um, you know, it's just another one of the factors that you employ in making a decision. Right. Excellent. All right. Adam, I, I mentioned to you that I wanted to chat to you about the newsletter and to give it a bit of a punt, actually. Uh, I mean, I... I get the free version every weekend. I really should pay for the for the full version uh, because of, because what you do does look extremely interesting. Of a lot of things that I do get in the email box each week, uh, yours is one that always piques my interest, and I and I find this American ingenuity portfolio theme very very interesting. I think also as a younger investor, with hopefully a lot of time still on my side. This yeah. is the sort of thing that should be appealing to myself or people of, of my sort of generation wanting to invest. So just tell us a little bit about the newsletter quickly. Uh, that's the first thing. And then after that, I want to ask you about the, the money management side of the business, which you alluded to as well. Oh, super. Uh, well, thanks for the opportunity to, to, to tell you more about Bullseye. I mean, I, I, I love it. I have a lot of fun. Yeah. I probably work too hard, but then again, most of us do. Uh, if you love what you do, then I guess you're not really yeah. working, right? You're doing what yeah. you love. That's a good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the heart and soul of uh, Bullseye Brief is stock picking and coming up with uh, a new idea. I say a new idea every week. It's not that I'm literally writing a brand new idea every week because some weeks I might want to highlight a, a pick that's already in the portfolio and say mm -hmm. there's been some really important news and um, and you need to pay attention uh, or it went back down and I'm adding more. Right. So I'll call that a focus pick as right. opposed to a new pick. 
Um, but that that is the heart and soul of the newsletter every week. Um, each write-up on, on a stock is, call it 15, 1600 words. So it's chunky, yeah. uh, but it, it, you know, it's digestible. Um, I love uh, uh, creating graphics and telling a story with pictures. So what I, what I typically do is I build all the graphics myself um, and then I write around the graphics um, because I think the graphics speak for themselves and I'm a very visual person. So I want you to be able to look at the graphics and, and understand it. Uh, in fact, every, um, every it, I highlight the first sentence of every paragraph in orange. Uh, the thing is orange and black. I just happen to like orange and black. I went to Princeton where the Princeton Tigers, that's orange and black. Uh, uh, Bloomberg is in orange and black. You know, old yeah. habits die hard. So right. bullseye is in orange and black. But right. uh, you could literally read just the first sentence that's in orange of every paragraph and uh, look at the pictures and you would know exactly what the thesis is. I try to make it easy for people. I think one of the things I do well is actually make complicated stuff simple. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of pleasure out of actually doing that. Uh, or, or creating order out of chaos um, is, is another way to think about it. Um, and so uh, that's the heart and soul, stock picking. In addition, I, the other half of the newsletter that, that I publish every week um, is um, our week ahead. Uh, what is some of the news on our various names, our, our uh, 40 or so names in position? Um, what are the potential catalysts um, coming up? Um, what are the trades that I'm making, the buys and the sells? I don't trade very often, but I always put buys and sells. You know, these are in the buy zone. These are approaching the sell targets, uh, just to let people know. Okay. And then I also um, do what's called the uh, the bullseye view. Uh, I think it's important to have some macro context. So I write one paragraph each on stocks, bonds, oil, gold, and the dollar. Again, okay. that's the bullseye view. Um, and then I also do uh, one editorial, just one paragraph um, that's uh, kind of spicy and fun and one chart. And I speak to that chart um, uh, and um, it's my opportunity to just kind of loosen it up a little bit. Yeah. So uh, so there, there are a lot of different components to Bullseye. And admittedly, um, that evolved over time. The first, if I look back at the first Bullseye that I wrote back in 2016, to be perfectly honest, I think it's actually terrible. Um, (laughs) I'm my own harshest critic, but you know, that's the way things start. You know, uh, it was very simple. And then I just kept kind of expanding it and rounding it out and perfecting the craft. And I'm now at a point where I will put Bullseye Brief up against any newsletter out there. I think it's really good. Um, Of course I do. I'm biased, but I really, you know, I'm my own harshest critic as well. And and I'm really very proud of the output. Um, And I've got subscribers all over the world. And as you mentioned, um, that has enabled a money management business to grow out of it. Because if you're a subscriber and you're reading the picks every week um, and you enjoy that, you might enjoy running your own portfolio. There are also some people who say, gosh, this is a lot of work. What if I just give Adam the money and let him run it? And so that's how the... Uh, very organically, that's how the money management business sort of grew out of bullseye. And um, so I, I, I guess you could say I really run two businesses, right? Yes. I write the newsletter and I actually manage uh, money in uh, separate accounts for people. It's yes. not a hedge fund or any of that. It's a yeah. separate account. Each person has a separate account um, on the Charles Schwab platform. And I simply uh, have the authority to make buys and sells in that account. Okay. So that's, that's very interesting. Okay. I like the simplicity of that actually. So it's not a fund. It's not, you know, your money's tied up in some obscure structure. It's, it's your account at Charles Schwab 
You've yeah. given Adam the power of attorney or a mandate to trade on the account. And you as the investor can take your money out whenever you want or add more money in if you want, etc. I like that. I like that. It's yeah, simple. It's clean. Um, it's clean. Yeah, it's called managed accounts. And that's something that, that um, kind of grew out of the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, I think it's a wonderful way to run a business um, mm. because it's totally transparent and uh, you can rely on the infrastructure of a big trusted firm like Charles Schwab. They do all the tax stuff and everything. Yeah. And 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 again, it's your money in your account. And um, uh, you know, so it's 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 secure. And and you know, they're they're just uh, that's the way to do it. Keep yeah, it yeah, absolutely. I like it. I do like it. I like the fact that it's not cloaked in funny structures and. Right. tax havens and you know, trusts and things. And some of these hedge funds are hell of a complicated right. and you kind of wonder like, you know, how many hoops does the money have to jump through to get there? And ultimately how many hoops back does it have to jump through? So I like the simplicity of that. Yes. As we draw towards the end of our time, Adam, uh, just tell us where viewers and listeners can uh, see your work, where they can subscribe to the Bullseye Brief newsletter okay. And also, if they're interested in your managed portfolios, where can they get in touch with you to talk to you about that? Give it, give it to us all. Tell us where you know. How do we follow right. Adam Johnson? Well, um, thank you for asking the question. Uh, bullseyebrief.com. Okay. Bullseyebrief.com. Um, Self-explanatory. That's uh, that's the website, and um, and there's a, a video there, a two-minute video that just uh, kind of lets you get to know who I am, yeah. uh, how I go about doing what I do. Uh, there is a sample um, of the newsletter. So you can actually see what, you know, potentially you would be um, uh, reading every week. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, there's a 45 day trial for 45 bucks. Mm. So I think that's a, a, a pretty, you know, low risk way of, of sure. getting to know me. Um, I put my phone number and my email on uh, every uh, note that I send out and I try to make myself accessible to people. So in the same way you and I are having a conversation right now, yeah. um, I have a lot of conversations like this with subscribers. Um, I enjoy that. And I think um, that kind of uh, openness and transparency is good for, for everybody. And, and I'll tell you also, some of my subscribers have given me some wonderful ideas that became bullseye picks. Yeah. Research. So, um, you know, what goes around comes around. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and certainly people listening uh, now, if they want to reach me, can do so aj at bullseyebrief.com. That's my email, aj at bullseyebrief.com. Or as I say, just go to bullseyebrief.com, find out a little bit more and feel free to sign up for the trial um, if you like. And, yeah. uh, you know, give me a give me a give me an email. Brilliant. All right, Adam, Adam Johnson, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege speaking to you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. We are out of time, unfortunately, but I could carry on chatting to you for ages, but oh we, we're done in terms of our allotted time. Yeah. So thank you for joining me. I really do appreciate it. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Garth. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders brought to you by IG, a world leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.